All right, if you're in your Bibles, we got the book of Isaiah chapter 9. That's that verse we played up on the screen getting started. It is Christmas time of the year, which for some of you is the most wonderful time of the year. I do get excited about Christmas if there's snow. And we, uh, the script got a snowstorm coming. I thank God for that. Uh, yeah, th- this is what the, uh, the scripture says, man. It's that his name is wonderful. He's a wonderful counselor. That's the verse they write on your Christmas cards. That's the theme verse for this series. I'm breaking down each uh, of these beautiful descriptions of what the Messiah is like. And I want to just read this verse, Isaiah 9, 6, a little bit in verse 7. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Say Mighty God. God. The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government peace, there'll be no end upon the throne of David, and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forevermore. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today. This is the day you made that we can rejoice and be glad in it. I pray for open hearts, open minds, ready to receive from the word of God. And I thank you for revealing your might and your goodness and your power in our lives in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. Amen. So, I did tell you on that announcement that um, sometimes at Christmas I get a little bit grinchy. I apologize. Uh, I did wear a Christmas attire this morning. So you can say I'm not actually grinchy. But, uh, you know, the reason why I I say that stuff is because my mom used to decorate bigly. I mean, she would go all out at Christmas. You know, we had like a a garage that we renovated. And so it had like a 10, 11-foot ceiling. And we'd go get a Christmas tree that would fill the whole thing up, man. I mean, they'd have to get that thing on top of the Suburban. They'd bring it into the house. Dad might even had to cut a little bit off the top of the tree. You're talking about a big tree in there. And as a kid, I used to think, man, my dad has got to be so mighty. He's got to be so strong to get that ginormous tree up there. It had squirrels in it. I mean, it was just an enormous tree. <laughs> but I think the bigger problem was the cleanup. I mean, have you ever tried to clean up on Christmas? It's a big job, man. I mean, I think that's probably where I get my feeling of grinchiness is that um, there's a lot to do, man, you know, cleaning up needles on the floor, putting everything away. And, you know, when the Bible describes Jesus, the Messiah is coming, it describes him as a mighty God. And uh, he's got the strength, not just to set up his kingdom, but to clean up the mess. And there's something about his mightiness that I learned this week, man. It tells us uh, that his name shall be called. That's our series. And we talked about he's wonderful. We talked about how he's a counselor. Well, this morning, what I'm going to teach you is that he is a mighty God. And what's so interesting about this was when I started studying about his might, I really found out something totally different than I thought it meant. You know, when I was studying, I thought it meant one thing, but it has a specific connotation. There's a specific context. It's referring to something specific about him. And before I show you that, I want to just highlight just a page over in Isaiah 11 and verse 2, rest upon him. And in this verse that the Messiah, when he comes, it says the spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon him. And he then begins to describe what we call the seven spirits of the Lord. And picture in your mind, if you would, like a Jewish menorah, the seven spirits, like that, that central candle shaft is the spirit of the Lord. And on each side, balancing each other out, there's the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And he mentions the spirit of counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And each of these branches are sort of like a counterbalance to the other branch. 
So when the Bible says that he's a wonderful counselor and he's a mighty God, that's describing him in his beautiful balance. Man, there's something amazing about how the Lord's wisdom and insight and counsel that can bring you answers, that can bring you victory, and it's balanced with his power, his might. That God not only has the ability to give you truth, he has the ability to deliver you and set you free. And his might is an amazing thing that I want to highlight this morning. And so as I was praying about it, I thought, man, how can I you know, highlight here what we're talking about? Because it has this specific reference. And the Lord led me over to the book of Zephaniah. You ever been to the book of Zephaniah? Probably not. But I want to highlight for you from Zephaniah 3 some manifestations of his might. So that's a few books over to the right, almost towards the beginning of the New Testament here. And Zephaniah is a book that's, you know, a prophet of Israel, and he's speaking to his people. And and what I want to highlight here is the way that might, the might of the Lord will work in your life and and how it applies, what it means in your life. How does this might work out? And so I'm going to start here in Zephaniah chapter 3. Look at verse number 16. He said, in that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Don't let your hands be weak. For the Lord your God is in your midst, and it calls him the Mighty One, who it says will save. He is mighty to save. Can I get an amen? A bigger amen that he's mighty to save. What this showed me is that the way that the Lord's might manifests in your life is that he is uh, willing to fight your battles. He fights the battles that you have. It's such an interesting thing here. Because when it says in the verse... Do not let your hands be weak. That is specifically speaking about a military conquest, military might. And when we're talking about, you know, in that day in Jerusalem and Zion, there, there is something specific here about him being like a warrior. When the Messiah comes, he's going to be a warrior hero. Or if you're a Braveheart fan and you remember Mel Gibson, he, Jesus is coming like a warrior poet. There is an eschatological inference right here that is talking about Jesus at his second coming, coming in strength and coming in power. You know, I like the Bible says that the Lord is a man of war. That's Exodus chapter 15. He is a man of war, a man of strength, a man of might. And when I did the cross references on this verse to study out, you know, what, what it meant from Isaiah 9 6 there, it brought me to verses like this. It brought me to uh, Psalm 45, verse 3, that says he's got a sword strapped on his thigh. In the New Testament, it took me to uh, the book of Titus, chapter 2, and verse 13, it talked about his glorious coming. It took me to 2 Thessalonians 2 8, which talked about him destroying the army of the enemy with the brightness of his coming. That's what Zechariah said he'll do, he'll destroy them, and, and, and so that their bodies will literally dissolve at the glory of God when he shows up. That's what this is talking about when it says he's mighty to save. See, when you think about Jesus at Christmas time, we call that his first advent. You know, he's in a manger, mild, meek, and mannered. Because the first time he came, he is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. But when he comes again in his might, he's coming, the Bible says, with fire in his eyes. It says he'd be wearing many crowns on his head. It says he's going to be wearing a robe dipped in blood because he's been treading the armies of the enemy. And it says it's a day of vengeance. It's the day of our God. He's coming the next time as the lion of God. See, this is who we serve. A mighty God. He's able to save you. 
He fights your battles for you. You know, when Moses wrote that, Exodus 15, he was writing about how the Lord delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt. Do you remember that? And he delivered them from Pharaoh and all of his armies. And it made me think of another story uh, that I heard about during World War II about General Bernard Montgomery, who was the commander of the British 8th Army in North Africa. I, I am a World War II buff. I like to, every time I go someplace, there's a World War II museum. I'm going to research about it. Well, this time in 1942, the Germans were pushing hard in North Africa. They were trying to get to Jerusalem. They wanted to take over the Middle East. And the only thing in their way was the British 8th Army. And they were having defeat after defeat after defeat. And so, you know what Winston Churchill did was he appointed a man named Bernard Montgomery, Monty, to be the general down there. He was the son of an Anglican bishop, an Anglican priest. And when he uh, decided to have that first battle at El Alamein, he led his troops in a prayer in which he wrote the prayer down and he declared that the Lord was, that, that God was a man of war. And the troops prayed and they were able to defeat Erwin uh, Rommel and pushed back. It was like one of the beginning turning points of World War II because a man knew how to pray and understood that God was a man of war. He gave him the victory that day. Hallelujah. You know what I think about is that you know, he can give you natural victories, but you know, he can also give you spiritual victories. Because a lot of times the battle that you're facing really is a spiritual battle. It, it, that's what happened to King David. Remember, he was a man of war. But when he was at the battle of Baal-Harazim, 2 Samuel 5, 24, the Lord said, I want you to wait until you hear the sound of marching in the treetops. And what that was was an angelic army. And he said, that army is going to go before you, and he's going to give you the victory. See, there's something spiritual even in natural battles. Because you've got to understand, the, the war that you're facing, it, it doesn't mean that people are your enemies. You know, I found out something amazing about the Christmas time. There's a lot of drama surrounding it. Not quite as bad as weddings, but plenty of drama. I don't know if people's flesh gets stirred up because they're eating too many Christmas cookies or what happens, but it's like people fight. They kind of get on edge. I mean, it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, but it can be filled with drama. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's not people's fault. It's there's a spiritual battle taking place. And sometimes, you know, we get weak, we get tired, emotions get flared. You got to understand, man, you might be in a spiritual battle. And you got to know how to push back on the enemy because what he said here is he's mighty to save. Uh, he can save you in battle. And what I love about the Lord is, is that he fights battles because he's already given you the victory. Yeah, he knows he's won the war already, man. He knows exactly. The problem people have is they don't know how to enforce the authority God has given to them. That's really the issue is you got a battle that's won and people sit back as victims rather than understanding that the war has already been won. Mm. I, I love that, you know, I, I opened up this morning about being uh, no condemnation in Christ Jesus, man. I felt that in my spirit. Uh, but, you know, that chapter also says in Romans 8 that through him we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We've already won the battle. And I love the illustration I've used for that one about the man in the boxing ring. Man, this guy was boxing in the prize round, and he got all the way to the ninth round before he knocked out his adversary in the fight. Knocked the guy out. And you know what he did? He went home to his wife. He sat there in the living room, in the kitchen, and she put a stake over his eye. And when she did that, he slid over that prize money check and he gave it to his wife. His wife is more than a conqueror. 
He, he got beat up. She got the paycheck. That's what, that's what Jesus did for you, man. He, he, he's mighty to save. He's already won the battle. He's given you all the authority you need. And all you got to know how to do is push back on the devil. He fights your battles. This is where a lot of people just don't get it. The battle has been won. He's already fought it. And he will help you because he's mighty to save. That's what it means. He's coming back to deliver his people, he, but he's already brought deliverance in our life, spiritually speaking. Now, let, let me give you a, a second manifestation here. And this verse in Zephaniah 3 is loaded. I, I'm reading through it, and my spirit was just stern. It tells us that he's the mighty one. He'll save. And then it tells us that he rejoices over you with gladness. Yeah, you know what that made me think about? It made me think about how his joy will strengthen you. That's exactly what the book of strength says. He will strengthen you with joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength, straight out of the pages of the Bible. Because you know, joy is this invigorating force. It's something that stirs you up from the inside, gives you a little bounce in your step, a little boost, moves you forward. I mean, joy is one of those things that people underutilize. And I think that, you know, the, the reason that people feel so weak sometimes is because they have very little joy in their life. And I have sensed you know, a weakness in the people of God, and sometimes it manifests itself in the form of emotional or spiritual immaturity. It's like sometimes people just get lethargic, lackadaisical, they get apathetic about things. It's like they have no victory in their life, and I'm telling you, you can track it back to the fact that they don't have a lot of joy. That if you could keep that joy flowing in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind, man, you'd experience breakthrough, you'd experience excitement. It, it, it's one of those things that is a force multiplier that takes you to the next level. Because you get victory, and you get joy, and they go together. I like to win. This is what happened to me on Thursday, man. I had a, I had a tough Thursday evening. Uh, I had some people I was talking to kind of broke my heart a little bit, and then I got you know, to doing some foolish things on my own. Yeah. And so I came in here on Friday morning, and I was feeling like, oh, I done messed up. You know what happened when I started praying? I felt God's goodness, his love, and it stirred joy up in my heart. I, I just, all of a sudden, I just felt joy. Like, man, he loves me. He cares about me. And that, that joy started just welling up in me, and mm, it got me fired up. It, it, it brought me into a great place of victory. Just having joy in your heart helps you get through things. I have a great verse in Colossians 1, in verse 11. I think it's on the screen. And that, that verse, what it tells us is that uh, you can be strengthened with all might. Now, when I was reading about the might of the Lord, that he, he's a mighty God, I thought it would, might be referring to this, that there's a spiritual might from the Holy Spirit that comes inside you. That verse in Isaiah is specifically referring to the might of the Lord when he comes back. But this victory he's given us, that there's spiritual might in it, and it works according to his glorious power. Uh, for all patience and long-suffering, what does it say? With joy. You know what is amazing about joy is it's one of those things that allows you to endure difficult things in life. Joy is the secret sauce that you need for you to get through the mundane, the problems, the day-to-day, -day, the frustrations that you feel. And it's how you run your race. Because the Christian life, as you know, is not a sprint. It's a long-term race. And if you're going to run it effectively, you got to keep that joy going, man. That joy is what keeps you doing. 
It keeps you like long-term in the ministry. You know, I met men that have gone in the ministry for many, many years, and they're filled with joy. Joy is what keeps you enduring in a marriage. You know, my wife has come to me, and she said, you know, sometimes I feel like there's no joy in our home. And I said, well, that's because you got me decorating so much Christmas now. <laughs> I really I, I, I've had to really be aware of it. I've had to think about it. I've really tried to implement ways to find joy because, you know, it can be difficult sometimes if you just feel, you know, you, you, you got you to gotta bring joy into your home. That keeps a marriage going. It, it keeps you going with children. Children do bring joy. They're very noisy. And, and that, that noise creates joy in your home, even when they make mistakes. And, and even maybe it's your career. That thing that you might be going through, maybe God's called you to do something. He's put you in a place you don't particularly enjoy it. You might get frustrated by it, but joy will allow you to keep moving forward with it. It's, it's how you have success and long-term things. It was the joy that was set before Jesus that allowed him to endure the cross and despise the shame. And that joy, my brothers and sisters, was you and me. Because what he saw was what might be when you and I would serve him. He was filled with joy, and joy literally is the thing that kept him moving all the way to the cross. And joy is a powerful force. It works out. So if you're missing joy, if you're weak and feel like, I need joy in my life, you know, one of the things I like to do is just get along with God. I have found that if I'm with him in his presence, there's fullness of joy. We read that last week in Psalm 16. You get in his presence, it's amazing how he'll pick up your spirit. I like to pray in the, uh, the tongues, pray in the spirit, and joy will start just welling up in me. I felt it this morning as we were worshiping God. I felt the joy of the Lord in my life. That could be the reason why you're lacking joy. You just haven't spent enough time in his presence. It could be that maybe you've got a fellowship with the right people. There are some people I like to get around that make me laugh. Where's my friend Jeff Urso over there? If you need laughter, go talk to Jeff Urso. <laughs> There's some people you fellowship with and it's like, man, that, that just residual effect of their positivity, their love for the Lord, it stirs you up, man. And I've been around people who maybe they bring me down. I got to go find people who lift me up. You, you might want to fellowship with the right people. Uh, you know what will really get you filled with joy this holiday season? Is when you share your faith with somebody. That's the book of Philemon, chapter 1 and verse 6. It says that uh, the sharing of your faith is effective when you acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. So when you're down and frustrated, get yourself down to Walmart. There's a lot of soft targets at Walmart. You can witness to cashiers, people at G-Miles. I found myself doing that, and you know what it does? Is it brings joy into your life. You can talk about Jesus. You get to pray for people outside. I mean, man, if you learn how to be a witness for the Lord, you'll have joy. How many need joy this year? I want more joy in my life. And that means I just need to be more full of Jesus, share his goodness, the good news of Jesus Christ. That is how might works. You get full of joy, you become an unstoppable force. Now, now let me give you another thought from Zephaniah 3. Th these are simple. I'm telling you, they are profound. Zephaniah 3.17, the last part of the verse. He not only sing over you, he will quiet you with his love. And then he said he rejoiced over you with singing. Simple point here that has a lot to do with might. And that's that he knows how to quiet you with his love. His love will quiet your soul. That word, you know, quiet, it, it's, a, it's a silence. It's, it's a hush. Uh, in, in the Hebrew mind, 
It's the idea of a baby resting in the arms of his parents. I found this in Psalm 131. I was just reading this in my devotions the other day. And David said, I'm not going to think about things I don't understand, things I can't comprehend, things are too big for me. I am going to be like a baby resting confidently and quietly in the arms of my father. Ooh, there's something about just trusting that God has got things figured out. He's got you taken care of and you resting in his arms that quiets you with his love. You know that one commentator I was reading said that Zephaniah 3.17 is like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. You know John 3.16? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what's found in this verse, man. It's the love of God at work. This is where might comes from. It's from God's love. Now, I'm in this particular season where I'm surrounded by little children who cry all the time. You know, if you get them a gift, you have to get all of them a gift. can't just get one a gift. And then, you know, sometimes they all have to be the same gift, like the same colors. Uh, or they want turns. You throw one on the couch, the other one wants to be thrown on the couch. It's a never-ending thing. And if someone doesn't get a turn, they start... And they fall repeatedly. I'm in that season. I mean, I'm downstairs and I hear crying and I know somebody fell. It's very, it's not very, it, that's children. But you know, I'm also in the season shepherding. And you know, as a shepherd, you're around sheep who cry all the time too. And they cry about snow and shoveling snow. And they cry about being frustrated with the government. And they cry about jobs they don't like. I mean, you know, it is funny. But what the verse tells us and it's just such a great word. He'll quiet you. Quiet you with his love, man. That's such a telling phrase. Because when you feel loved, you down. It has this sense of security that comes upon you. And it quiets you down. So you're not trying to perform for somebody. Man, a lot of Christians live their life trying to perform and put a front on. I, I, I've been in church my whole life. I've seen it. They... they, they will perform. I know people who, because they're insecure, they'll push for things. Or they get very demanding about things they want. They get impatient. Now, you know, I, I, I can't... It's like every time I'm on the phone, I have a child who gets very demanding. I mean, they want attention, and they're right there, and they're demanding. I'm, I'm on the phone. I can't... I have to hit the mute button and tell them to go sit down and a lot of it is because they want attention, and what they're really looking for is affirmation. Man, I, I'm watching in the world today, when people don't feel affirmed, they get pushy and demanding, and they become like Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, having to be on the front page of the paper everywhere. I can't turn the news on without reading about those two clowns. All right? I'm an American. I don't care about British people. But it's like, man, they, it's like everywhere, because somebody is looking for affirmation. Like they, they want, you know, attention. They want to be loved. And, mm. I'm telling you, love, love is a mighty force, mightier than you realize. Mm. There's a great verse in the Song of Songs, and it tells us that love is as strong as death. Probably you don't think about it like that. Love is that motivational force that means you'll do some crazy things just because you're in love. You'll immigrate Canadian wives to America through horribly long processes. I mean, yeah. And, and then you'll put up Christmas lights outside of the house because you love your wife. Love is motivational, man. Dangerous things up on a ladder in a cold day where there's ice, and yet you love your wife, right? Yeah. 
Love is the thing that will cause you to make sacrifices for your children. You know, the, like, I, I want to bless them. I want to demonstrate love, so I'm willing to do less for me so I can bless them more. L- love is one of those things that helps you serve your friend when you don't feel like it because it's a Saturday morning. And, and, and that's what love will do. It, it, it just helps you stay strong. And, you know, I always use the example in football because I love watching football. I remember when Ray Lewis of the Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl, and they asked him, you know, what motivated them to play through pain and injuries, and he said, it's because we love each other. And I thought, man, that is such, man, love motivates you. The love that you have for one another, Jesus said, would be the strongest witness. That's his might. Now, the verse, man, oh, I needed to talk about the love of God this week. I needed to hear and feel his love. Look at this verse. He rejoices over you with singing. That, that's an amazing verse. He loves you so much he sings over you. Now, that's hard for people to understand. As a man, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it's hard for me to understand because, you know, I, I'm not much of a singer. Like a, I'm not super musical. And the idea that God is singing over me like a baby in his arms because he loves me is like pretty hot to handle, man. I don't think about it like that all the time, but he sings over me. You know, I, I, I kind of, like, I'll just be honest, sometimes it's hard to process that. Because what happens with people is, especially as you age, you start to discover there's certain flaws in your personality, gimmicks that you have, dumb stuff that you do. And if you're honest with yourself, you might realize, ooh, I don't know that I like that about myself. That happened to me this week. I said a joke. Someone took it the wrong way. And you know that's what I do, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I may have to grow in that area. So yeah. I was doing devotions a few weeks ago. And the guy in the devotional journal said something amazing. He said, a lot of times, you know, we will compare ourselves to other people. We want what they have. We we think about, man, they got something I don't have, or they're so much better at that. And, And You know, he said that when you just ask the Lord what he loves about you, because he uniquely created you, he's singing over you with his love. When when you ask him what he loves about you, it dignifies God in your life. It honors him when you say, Lord, what do you love about me? And and so I did what what the man said in my quiet time. I asked the Lord, what do you love about me? What are you singing about me over? And a thought came into my mind, a word that I was vaguely familiar with. I thought, what does that word mean? And so I went and looked it up on the computer, and I was like, that is, that is describing good things about me, things that I do. And, and I thought, man, the Lord loves me. I mean, it really blew me away that he gave me an I would challenge you, because you know what that'll do? It'll give you confidence. It'll quiet down your soul. It'll stop you from trying to push for things and go to places you don't need to go. It, it'll calm you and quiet you. You know, the 139th Psalm says that God has such great thoughts about you, they cannot be numbered. They're more than the sands of the sea. And you and I sometimes just kind of poo-hoo it, don't receive it, don't think about it. And in doing that, we're not receiving his love. And subsequently, we just don't grow in his might. I'm telling you that his love in your life is a mighty force. And if you get a hold of it, man, mm, it'll do great things in you. Think about what he's talking about here. He's coming back to set up his kingdom because he loves his people. Mm, that's how might works. That, that's really what we're talking about here. Now, Zephaniah 3, 18, 19, 20 are describing a thought here for us. 
He said, I'll gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly. He's speaking here to the Jewish people. He's talking about that day when he comes back to Jerusalem. He, he said, I'm going to gather them who are among you, to whom the reproach is a burden. And he said, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. I mean, think about the nations that have come against the Jewish people. And gather nation after nation. God said, I'll deal with them. I will save the lame and gather those who are driven out. And I will appoint them for praise and fame into every land where they were put to shame. This is something called the diaspora, that, that the Jewish people were scattered throughout the world, sold in slavery, and yet God said, I'm going to flip the tables. At that time, he said, I'm going to bring you back into the land, and I will gather you, and I will give you fame and praise among the peoples of the earth. You realize the Jewish people are like a fraction of the global population, but they've won 20% of Nobel Prizes. I mean, the contributions that they have made to the world are incredible. And God said, I will do this when I return your captives. And he said, I'm going to do it right before your eyes. You know what I love about the Bible? Is it prophesies the restoration of Israel, the return of the people. And what this tells me is that he will restore things that you thought were lost, things that you thought were broken. And he does it because he's a mighty God. He's able to fix things. The prophetic, uh, this, this prophetic plot is happening right before your eyes, man. I mean, the people are coming back into the land. And to me, it's the most significant evidence that the Bible is true. It's an up-to-date, relevant book. Because this is something that God currently and actively is ongoing. I mean, he, he's doing these things. I know because I've been to Israel twice now. And I've seen Zechariah's prophecy, Zechariah 8. He said, that one day, children will be running on the streets, and there'll be old men there. I saw it with my eyes. And the nations of the world that they were scattered to, he's bringing them back into the land. I remember uh, when I went there in 2017 with Christians United for Israel, and I started to get sniffles. You know, I didn't want to get sick on my trip to Israel. I want to be totally focused. And so they told us, well, if you go to Ben Yehoida Street, which is a famous street over there, anyone ever been to... Ben Yehoida Street, you, you can get like a, a drugstore over there. So I went in there and I found some, you know, things I could put in my nose. And it was a little Israeli bottle with stuff I was writing. I don't know what it was, but it fixed my problem. That's the best cold stuff I ever had. I came home with that bottle. I did not tell my wife though. Because, you know, she was having little babies and she was sick all the time. That's terrible. I mean, I didn't share it at all. She'd get sick. I'd pop that. I was fine. <laughs> <laughs> but when we went over to Israel, uh, and I'm walking up there, I ran into a Jewish man who had a slightly different accent and, this accent and slightly different dress than all the other Jewish people. We said, where are you from? And he was from Paris, a Parisian Jew. He said, things are getting so difficult in Paris that uh, we decided to move back to Israel. God is bringing his people back from all over the place, man. I mean, nation after nation. I'm telling you, this is what the Bible's about. He knows how to restore things that were broken in your life. And that's the business that God is in. He's in the restoration business. He's like a master mechanic. And he knows how to get things fixed and repaired. Isaiah 58 tells us that he's a repairer of the breach. That's a broken thing. That he is a restorer of the streets. He fixes them. I'm telling you, he's got a build back better program that's free of inflation. Come on, somebody. 
He's got a program that will work and get things built back up. Think about all the things that he can restore. You know, he can restore your fortunes. I love that about him. That's what happened to Job. He gave him double for everything he went through. That's what Isaiah 61 said. I'm going to give you double for the trouble. Now, I had a buddy, and he, this poor man, you know, he, he moved away. He got divorced. He so badly wanted to have more children and, and, and get married. And it just seemed like it wasn't going to happen. But one day, he met the right girl. They just had a baby, even though he's like 45, praise God. And by the way, when her dad died, he left him a couple million dollars. That's called restoration and restoring. He didn't even know it. She didn't know it. It just happened. He restored the fortunes. That's what he does, because my friend was faithful. He's a restorer. He, he, he can restore to you things that you thought were broken. He can give you back time. He restores your years. Joel chapter 2. I love that. Uh, my friend, Dr. Dave Roberts, he just lives uh, out in Red Lodge. When he was a young man in the 70s, he was doing abortions because it was easy ways to make money. And when he got saved, he realized that he was doing a horrible thing. He was convicted, and he spent the next 30 years of his life establishing, you know, Levy-type thing programs and, and, and child safety nets and, and getting people informed, and he restored the time that was given him. God did that. Gave him back years. He's able to restore things in your life. I mean, he, he can restore uh, your strength. He, he renews it. Isaiah 40 and 31, it's speaking about an eagle who who it says he restores your strength. You know how he does that is, is the feathers come out, old feathers go out, new feathers come on, and you've got strength. So maybe in the room you're retired, but down here with us, and you're refired, man. Oh, fired back up. You know, my mother-in-law plans to move down here with us, and, you know, she's in that season. And, and instead of being old, I, I feel like the Lord's going to give her many, many years ahead because that's what God's doing in his people. He's restoring years, refiring you, putting back things that you thought you might feel old and beat up in your body, but I'm telling you, he knows how to fix and heal. Mm. Good years, good days ahead. That's what he's got for his people. Yeah. He, he's able to restore things. He can restore your hope. Think about what Jeremiah prophesied to Israel in the promised land in captivity, Jeremiah 29, 11, when they were sitting there in Babylon. And he said, I have good thoughts towards you. I know that you have a future and a hope. And that's what God's got for his people. You might think it's short on hope, but I'm telling you, it's never too late with God. That's why he said in, in Jeremiah 30, he said, I'll restore your, your hope. I'll give it back to you. That's what he does, man. And the most beautiful thing about God is that he's able to restore relationships you thought you, that were lost. Isaiah 58, I quoted it. He's a restorer of broken things. He, he, he's a fixer of the streets. Streets are like the intersections of people's lives. That's where people come and they go and they pass to and they pass fro and they come back and forth. And, and, and sometimes people walk away out of your life. Sometimes things get broken and it's painful. But he knows how to bring things back. I've had him do it in my life, man. I've had him restore things. I've had him bring people back, people that I, I, I pain and, and, and God has healed relationships. I've seen him do it. Maybe you've had relationships that have gone south on you. Maybe it's a backslidden family member. Maybe it's Somebody who, you know, you loved and they're not walking with God and you felt like, man, this is hopeless and it's over. But the God that I serve is a God who knows how to restore to people the joy of their salvation. Man, he can bring it back. That's what happened to David. He got stuck in sin. God brought him back. Because sin is the thing that often separates people in relationships. And God can bring it back and he can heal.
He is a mighty God. He's mighty to save, man. He can, he can set up his kingdom and he can clean up the mess. Just like that mess you got to clean up at Christmas time. You just ask for the Lord to help strengthen you and you'll get through it. That's what I have to do. <laughs> Load a box. I don't know, maybe this morning, you know, you're here in this place and you, you feel weak because you don't have any joy. I watch that with people all the time. They have a case of the moly grubs. They're not filled with life and vitality. There's no joy, no spring in the step. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to spend time in the presence of God and learn to laugh out loud. Sometimes that's what you got to do, just stir yourself up. <laughs> My wife and I do that, man. We, we, we find things to laugh out. We try to find places of joy. It stirs us up, man. I don't have to be weak. I can be strong in the Lord. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe, you know, uh, you got to receive the love of God for you. That's a hard one for people. People really sometimes don't feel like God really loves them. And I'm telling you, that is, if you get a hold of his love for you, you will be a wreck of ball the devil cannot stop. It's the love of God. A baby resting in the arms of his parent. I remember when my baby boy Titus was just a baby. You know, when it's your first baby and you don't know what you're getting into, you spoil them a little bit. So we, I couldn't get him to sleep. We didn't want him to cry. That's a terrible thing. Now that all the children cry, I've learned. But at that time, I remember sitting on the recliner with him. And he'd fall in such a sleep, and I would get up to get him off. And no sooner had I moved on that couch, and he'd start crying and scream. <laughs> Wrap yourself. But God, he wants you to stay right there. He don't mind you crying. He wants you to just wrap yourself and hide in his side in the wounds of Jesus. And he loves you. And all you have to do is believe and receive that love. That is the whole thing. He's singing over me with love, and I can't earn it. I don't have to stress out, strive. I just, even when I'm a knucklehead, he loves me. Oh, that's a God that's worth serving right there, man. That will give you some strength. Yeah. Or maybe you feel like you just might have lost your way. Lack purpose, don't have a sense of direction, and you feel, man, I don't know where my life is going. And th this is the place where he can restore, heal, get you on the right track. I was in Denver, Colorado one time with Pastor David, and this was probably 10 years ago. Now, I like maps. You know, it's one of my favorite things. I don't know, I'm a cartographist. I like, I love to read maps, and the map I had at Denver we were on the street, but we couldn't find ourselves, man. We were like, where in the world? Now, I'm thankful I'm with Pastor David. He's smarter than me. He had a smartphone. So he opened up a smartphone, and he found out that we were indeed on the street, but the street went off the map and then came back onto the map. That's why we couldn't find ourselves, because we were off the map in between the streets. <laughs> David got us redirected back where we needed to go. That's what the Holy Spirit will do in your life, man. He'll bring you back. He restores things. He'll get you back in the right place with God. Now, maybe you felt like that this morning. Maybe you feel like, man, I've I, I, I ruined my life. I've made a waste of it, and, and I'm off track, and it's time for you to get right with the Lord. So before I pray for you, I'd just like to give you that opportunity, man, to get restored to Him. That's His end game, man. It's the restoration and the redemption of all mankind so you can fulfill your purpose in the Lord. So if I could get every head better, every eye closed, I just want to give you a chance here to get on the right track with the Lord. You say, Pastor, I need to get right with him. I want to walk with him. I want to know him. I want him in my life. How many are grateful for the Lord's love? Why don't we just receive it this morning? Say, Jesus, 
I receive your love. I know you died for me. I'm grateful. Joy that comes from the I pray over this people, Lord, a sense of your joy that comes from the love of God. Mm. Deep, rich, mm. crimson. Father, I, I pray your love. I pray that we'd have a, a deep and profound revelation of it, of you singing over us, of you loving us. Oh, we thank you for it today. I pray the might and the strength of the Lord to be upon your people in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said... Amen and amen and amen. Will you stand up with us this morning? Man, if you want prayer, these altars are open. And I would love to pray with you, but you know what? I've got a water baptism to do here after the service. we got a water tank this, that we put up, and Daniel told me it was 120 degrees this morning, <laughs> which is good for a day like today. So we got it cooled down a little bit. But I'm going to baptize my friend Donovan and his fiance. And if you want to join us in the back, we'll be back there in about 15 minutes because we got to get dressed. <laughs> we got to get our baptism certificates ready and we got to get the clothes on to go get in the hot tub tank. So we'd love to have you join us and just celebrate that. If you want to get baptized, I suppose we could throw you in there too if it's this morning, if that's what you want. We, we can just put you right down there, man. Uh, if you want prayer, the altars are open. I want to challenge you this week to invite someone out to church, man. It's Christmas time and I look forward to seeing you Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock p.m. We'll have a great, great time. Love you all very much. I'll catch you all next week. Amen. <laughs>